Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. On the last episode, we started off 2020 with a bang and we talked about politics. Well, today we're going to do the same thing again. We're going to talk about another controversial subject, and that is abortion. And where do we as Christians navigate through culture and find ourselves and where do we stand on the issue of abortion? And how do we have a conversation with people? Do we know what we believe and why we believe it? This week, thousands of people will be taking the streets of Washington, D.C. for the March for Life. This week marks the 47th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And the mission for the march, uh, according to their website, is to end abortion by uniting, educating, and mobilizing pro-life people in the public square. And I love in the pictures over the last couple of years... Um, that I've seen, there have been so many young adults at this march, so many kids from universities and colleges. I see them from Liberty University. And when they're being interviewed, there's a lot of young people. And you see that the mission of March for Life is working because they're uniting, educating, and mobilizing. And to change a society, we have to start with the minds of the younger generation. And we've seen in recent history, I think the far left does that so well. But we as Christians have to be engaged with this next generation to be able to educate them, especially on the subject of abortion. Abortion has been a heated topic, you know, since I can remember. I was a little girl. It's been a heated topic since Roe versus Wade has um, been a topic for decades and will continue to be so. But in recent years, I feel like the conversation has changed a little bit. The far left with the subject of abortion has become so vile They promote abortions to be lighthearted and easy. It's kind of become more of a routine and elective part of birth control for many women around the country. And I'll never forget in the 2016 debate, sitting on my couch and listening to Hillary Clinton as she promoted late-term abortion. And I remember sitting on the couch thinking, we live in a society where a presidential candidate is nonchalantly up there talking about a late-term abortion like it's no big deal. And my heart ached, and I couldn't believe that that's where we were as a society. And I Googled it, and there's websites out there that you can literally like tell your story of how proud you are of your abortion. Um, you can brag about your abortion when you tell your story. Watch a YouTube video of this doctor um, who performs abortions, and he's up there just laughing and talking about it like it's no big deal. And it's just so evil. And I want people out there to know I can understand if there's a woman out there who's alone or who's in trouble and who thinks she has no other resources. I could understand her heartache and maybe thinking that that's her only option. I've shared my story before of um, when I was pregnant and my husband was in the NFL We had plenty of money. I had a beautiful home. I have a loving family. I'd been married for six years. But depression swept over me my whole time I was pregnant. I did not want to be pregnant with my first child. Even going to the hospital, I was crying, saying, Corey, I don't want to be a mom. And I think now with the laws that we're seeing, that could have been 
reasons enough for me to abort my child in late-term abortion. And that is scary. But that's where the church has to step in for that mother who doesn't have the support system for teenagers or whatever the case is, that we have to step in and know that she is loved and cared for. But I don't understand what's happening in our society where we're bragging about it, where it's become an elective form of birth control. You know, it's no big deal to end a child's beating heart. It's really disgusting. It's sick. And so why are they so aggressive? And I believe it's because the abortion world has become a business. They need girls to continue to have abortions so they can stay in business and keep getting their funding. You know, it's the same with, you know, people who make weapons of war. They don't really want peace because then they would be out of business. The abortion world has become a business and they are afraid that they will go out of business. The left hates that the truth is no longer on their side. Science is not on their side anymore, and they like to cling to science on so many other subjects, but when the subject of abortion and science comes in, science is not on the left side anymore. And movies are coming out like Unplanned, which reveals the ugly truths about abortion and the infamous Planned Parenthood videos. 47 years ago this week, on January 22nd, the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortion in the infamous Roe v. Wade case. And most people know the name of the court case, but they don't know really exactly what the Supreme Court decided that day. On that day, the court ruled that abortion must be permitted for any reason a woman chooses until the child becomes viable. And an abortion must still be permitted if an abortion doctor deems the abortion necessary to protect a woman's health. So you ask yourself the question, well, what defines a woman's health? And what defines a woman's health was defined later that day in a different case, all factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the woman's age. So really, the woman's health can be anything. You know, most people think there's a lot of restrictions, but and the states have created restrictions. But the law of that day did not create very many restrictions. Uh, David Savage of the Los Angeles Times has reported the Supreme Court created an absolute right to an abortion under which any abortion can be justified. But just because the courts legalize abortions, it's always important as Christians to remember what is legal is obviously not necessarily moral in God's sight. And probably the majority of you listening today would consider yourself pro-life. But why? Can you have a conversation with a pro-choice advocate and stand your ground? And here at Fearless, as I always remind you, I want to help you navigate through this compromising and sinful world and to be able to stand strong on biblical truth and know what you believe and why you believe it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And I want to encourage you on subjects like this. You know, so many of us know young girls who are pregnant or maybe not even young. Some of our friends that are pregnant are struggling with the thought of abortion. We all know somebody that's had an abortion. And we're to be able to have these conversations with gentleness and respect. But we also got to know what we believe and why we believe it. And. Many evangelicals have drifted from the Bible as the source of moral truth, and they hide behind the excuse. So many times I've heard this. It's not directly talked about in the New Testament. Therefore, I'm not going to discuss it. And here, people, if your pastor says that, I'm just here to tell you that they are a coward. There are many times the Bible talks about the unborn. Um, A little side note, I want to thank you to pastors who are not afraid to discuss tough subjects, especially 
like abortion. Uh, my college pastor from Boone, North Carolina, uh, he did a series last summer called The Elephant in the Room, where he discussed issues like this. And I will link uh, in my show notes to that sermon. It's one of the best sermons I've ever heard on abortion. His name is Scott Andrews, and I'll reference to it but and throughout the podcast today. But I would encourage you to go listen to it because it is really one of the best sermons I've ever heard on abortion. And once again, as I said on so many of these subjects, you know, these first happen to be moral, biblical issues that we're discussing. Now, they've just happened to become political issues in the time that we're living in, but it really starts with biblical issues inside the church and what we're discussing. And we as the church need to be informed and speak up. And if we don't know, then we can't teach the next generation. And if they don't hear and learn biblical truth from us as parents or grandparents, then they will hear it from the schools. Hollywood will be teaching about it. Um, They'll be getting messages through the Internet and from the far left who are doing a great job right now indoctrinating our children. And like I said in the last podcast, who has the greatest influence on this next generation and on our society? Is it Hollywood? Is it the Internet? Is it our, you know, our government or is it us, the people of God's church? But as Christians, as we're engaging in conversations with other people who don't believe in God's word, you know, we can throw out scriptures, but you're not, you're not going to get anywhere with them. So today on the podcast, I want to do my best to discuss both of these, you know, talk about from a biblical standpoint and what the Bible has to say, but maybe also help you engage in that conversation with somebody who doesn't believe that. And when discussing abortions, many questions come up, you know, when does life begin? When does the fetus become a person? You know, what if the mother's life is endangered? You know, really, the conversation now has even become, when does a child become a person? And some people out there say it's not till they're day two or whatever. You know, they they keep changing their mind because they're not based on truth. And now we're discussing, you know, when do they become a child? And I can't even believe, you know, just in recent history of last year that we're discussing, you know, what do we do with a botched abortion, a baby who survives an abortion outside the mother's womb? I mean, it's I just it's hard to fathom we're having that conversation today. You know, last year, North Carolina, they passed a law requiring babies to who were born still alive after an abortion to be given medical attention. So basically, they're just saying you have to save the child's life if they're born after a botched abortion. However, the governor of Roy Cooper vetoed the bill. Here's a child sitting in front, and he's saying you should not save them. People, that is evil, and that is the time we see it over and over in our society. It's happening more than we think. Um, Earlier, I mentioned Scott Andrews, and he said, think with me for a second. The purpose of an abortion has been to terminate a pregnancy that is actually accomplished in a so-called botched abortion. Three events terminate a pregnancy, a miscarriage, an abortion, or a birth. So the pregnancy has been terminated success. The woman's right over her body has been preserved. She's no longer pregnant. But that's not enough. Now allow the child to die. In other words, true colors are exposed. The ultimate aim of an abortion is not to terminate a pregnancy, but to terminate a life. Um, Robert P. George of Princeton University said, 
So to claim that there is a right to an abortion is not merely to say that a woman has the right to terminate the pregnancy or even control her own body. It is a claim that she is entitled to order the killing of the baby to order the performance of an act of the child's body, to end her life, to make her dead. You know, first as Christians, let's look at the biblical reasons of what the Bible has to say. First, man and woman were created in the image of God. During creation, humankind was different from the animal world in Genesis 1. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We've been given the ability of rational thought, personality, and moral responsibility. And at conception, when God created us, even before he created us, we've become God's image bearers. And it's like when you really take the time to think of that and how beautiful and what that means, it just kind of takes your breath as it God created us in his likeness, in his image. Second, the Bible says we shall not murder and um this is talking about the shedding of innocent blood. I don't want to get into capital punishment and all that kind of conversation as we're talking about you should not murder the innocent blood. John Piper says, surely the blood of the unborn is as innocent as any blood that flows in the world. Psalm 106, 38 says, they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to idols of Canaan. Are we a generation who is sacrificing innocent children for the idols of ourselves? We're a self-centered world. We've become our own idols, and we're sacrificing the children for ourselves and for our life. Third, and there are scriptures about children which are known by God in the mother's womb before birth. You know, the most famous one of them all, the most famous unplanned pregnancy of all time is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when she went to go visit her relative Elizabeth, who was pregnant, John the Baptist, while still in the womb, leaps for joy for his Savior while still in Mary's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then Psalm 139 that most of us know says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God doesn't just know us before we were born, but he has a purpose for each of us before we were even conceived. And I often think of all those 61 million babies that have been taken too early, who are not given a chance, you know, what would their purpose have been? I love the story recently that came out last year of the Ohio State running back, J.K. Dobbins, who told the story of his mother being a teenage girl who was going to have an abortion and that didn't. And he's living this life and he's living it fully. 
And he just talks about how thankful he is for life and the love he has for his mother. It was just a beautiful story in last year's football season. And But I wasn't thinking, like, who do we think we are to determine which innocent life lives and who doesn't? You know, isn't that what Hitler did? Isn't that what Saddam Hussein did? And what makes us any different as a nation to do what they did? Also, many times, and I know it's not all the time, you know, to end the life of a baby is the attempt to remove suffering from your life due to sin. I think of sex outside of a marriage. How many babies have been aborted because of sex outside of a marriage? And when you became pregnant, it was an inconvenience and you had to remove the problem. But I think the consequences of our sin will not be removed, you know, taking the child away. You would still have hardship. So many women talk about they've carried that burden and that sadness for years to come. And that be, is the consequence. And we all have consequences for our sins. It doesn't matter what sin we're talking about. Many of us have consequences. But you can't remove the consequence from sin and take a child's life from it. And a lot more could be said about the subject of abortion and scripture and looking at what God has to say about life. But for the sake of time, let's keep going. So what if you as a Christian are talking to a non-believer and the Bible verses um, just kind of go in one ear and out the other? How do you talk to um, a person in a secular world? And for many years, and even maybe people still today, some of it is they use the argument of science, which they so often cling to as their defense in many subjects. But in the subject of abortion, science is no longer on their side. They once considered, um, you know, years ago, me growing up, they believed it was a, a, the fetus was just a blob of tissue. Well, we all know that that is not true. And just basic stuff of science, you know, at conception, there's new life because at conception, there's a new DNA separate from the mother and father, which possesses 46 chromosomes. So right there, the baby is not the mother's body. And I've never understood that argument when we can look at science that this baby is not a part of the mother's body. It has its own DNA. Um, and by 21 days, the heartbeat is beating. At 45 days, the brain waves can be detected. At 12 to 13 weeks, their fingernails, they're going to be thumb sucking, and the fetus can recoil from pain. It even has fingerprints at that young age. And I have a really hard time, especially, you know, as I look as Hollywood has really been promoting. Um, abortion and pro-choice movement. And so many of them are mothers. And I don't know how you can go through having a baby, knowing at these different steps. I know for me, I had this app on my phone that told me every day or every week the growth of my child. I don't know how you could sit there and think that that's not a person and that you would have the ability to remove it. You know, I'm so thankful for people like Family Research Council. Uh, they had an article, which was like this, that helped you talk to people in a secular world. And I will link that to my show notes because I'm going to quote them a couple times in this next part. And I encourage you to check out their website, follow them on social media, just kind of stay current of what's going on in our politics and public policy. They're a great uh, resource for all of us. 
And in one of their articles where they're talking about how do we talk to a person in a secular world, it said, did you know that 72% of Americans say abortion should be illegal after three months? But as I read to you earlier, that is not what Roe versus Wade says. Even Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been critical of Rhodes, saying that it ventured too far in the change it ordered and presented an incomplete justification for its actions. So right there, in an argument with somebody, a very liberal judge who is so famous in our society, even says the law went too far in allowing an abortion in this land. The Supreme Court rule of Roe versus Wade's decision was unscientific at the time. It was unconstitutional. And the uninformed justices, they tried to play God. And the justices failed miserably in their attempt. You know, just this week, as I was really investigating and reading more about Roe versus Wade, I wanted to encourage you to read it yourself and look at the decision and see how random and uninformed it was. And the court randomly created one rule for the first trimester, another rule for the second trimester, and yet another rule for the third trimester. And medical science has been made, as we just said, this opinion is outdated due to science and obsolete. It is invalid scientifically, constitutionally, logically, and spiritually. And we are in a time as we're educating ourselves. We know this is a law that needs to go. And here's some statistics that I read in reading the article from Family Research Council that are worth stating to people who are arguing from a secular point of view. And, you know, we often think, you know, abortions, people give these reasons for abortion, but it's really what's the topic now is an elective abortion. And the last 25 years, Guttmacher Institute has conducted two major studies asking women why they have chosen to have an abortion. And also note that this is coming from an abortion industry research group. This isn't a conservative pro-life group. So in their reasonings, rape and incest is only accounted for 1% of an abortion. Because I know that's so often an argument with people is, what about rape? What about incest? That's only 1% of women who are having abortions. Uh, 7% of women report that their abortions are because of health reasons. 92% of abortions, people, 92% of abortions in America are purely elective, done on healthy women to end the lives of healthy children. That's not coming from a pro-life organization. That's coming from a pro-choice organization. So in these arguments that people have just kind of on a day-to-day, well, rape and incest and the health of a woman, those aren't why people are having an abortion. You know, another argument um, that you read in this article is that so many people say, well, women will die. And that was kind of the argument, you know, the health of a woman, women will die with certain kinds of pregnancies and the child needs to be aborted. And that was the case back in the 70s of one of their arguments that still we're using. But first, that's impossible to calculate the number of maternal deaths before Roe versus Wade, because it was a statistic that was never calculated that we're still holding on to today. I think when you're talking to so many people from a secular worldview is this thought that abortion has become a human right. And that's where I just can't fathom. Like, who do we as people, as a woman, think that I have the right to take away a heartbeat? And, you know, 
uh, our politicians, I think just last month I saw Bernie Sanders, you know, talk about abortion was a human right, not just here in the United States, but on a global level. And then a couple of days later, he talks about protecting, you know, children of this nation. Well, how about the most innocent of children, the unborn? And it's so hypocritical. It's not a woman's right to get rid of somebody else's DNA, another heartbeat. And it's like, who do they think they are? And so that's kind of a buzzword we hear. And today is it's a human right. And I'm sure abortion does not feel like health care to the aborted child feeling the pain of the needle or forceps. I was just at um, a conference and it was three people up there who had survived an abortion. So it was an abortion abortion and they had survived. And one of the girls up there said, I wasn't a mistake. But she goes, I'm also not somebody's choice. And I just thought that was so powerful. As here she is, and I don't know how old she is, in her 30s now, maybe 40s. And she goes, I'm not a choice. And I just thought it was just how misconstrued our society is to think we have the right, it's a human right, to take the life of somebody else. You know, as we look at arguments from a biblical standpoint and even arguments you know, to be able to talk to someone in a secular point of view. We are in exciting times. I love seeing a younger generation, especially like college students, rising up and having a voice in this conversation. There are wonderful groups like Students for Life, Live Action, Americans United for Life, the Heritage Foundation, and they're advocating for life on every level. And I'm so thankful for these organizations. Science, sociology, love and truth, are all on the side of life. And the Supreme Court now has five justices. That's amazing. Five justices that may at least allow some of the obvious absurdities of this Supreme Court rule of Roe versus Wade, you know, to be scaled back. And that would be amazing. And it's just like we saw back in December, the Supreme Court let the Kentucky law requiring ultrasounds before abortion stand, which is huge. The Kentucky law was saying that Every woman that wants to have an abortion first has to have an ultrasound and hear the fetal heartbeat. And many of the women, um, I can't remember the statistic off my head of what it is that don't return to have an abortion once they've heard the heartbeat. So the Supreme Court allowed Kentucky to have that law stand. And how amazing will it be if other states adopt the same law? So things are being changed. I'm thankful for a president and a vice president who have been so pro-life and so outspoken on this issue and um, have really kind of fought this fight when so many haven't had the courage to do so. But, you know, as we're closing and many of you listening today, I guarantee there are women who have had an abortion who are listening today or even men whose girlfriends or wives who have had an abortion and You've carried that hurt and that pain. I mean, I've been um, with some of my friends before who I've known for a long time, and they have revealed to me that they had an abortion. And my heart aches that they've carried the pain for so long and maybe in secret. And maybe through the course of time, you've become convinced, you know, that abortion's wrong since you've done it. Um, And I just want to remind you the redemption we have in Jesus. And how beautiful his love is that he loved you so much that he went to the cross and died for you and he died for me and for the sins of this world and the sins that we've committed. 
and that he loves you so much that he's waiting in open arms, that he would forgive you today, that if you ask for forgiveness for your sins, and that there's redemption in there, and there's a beautiful story to be told of your redemption. And maybe for some of you that are listening, and I encourage the church, this is where the church has to stand. We have to provide resources for those that are hurting in our in our uh, society and in our culture. Um, we have to provide resources for those girls that are sitting in your congregation, who are sitting in those seats that don't right now, who are asking questions, what do I do with my life right now? I'm carrying a child and I don't know what to do for different circumstances, whatever they may be. We as the church have to stand up and show the resources so that you will stand with that girl. You will stand with that young couple that's still in high school or college, and you're going to support them, that you're coming around and you're going to be the body of Christ around them and provide. um, There's so many great resources there, but we have to make sure that they are available for those people in our church and our culture who are hurting. And I will list um, some great resources on my show notes for those who are listening who maybe are looking for some hope and for some help. I want to thank you for listening today as we continue to address tough and important subjects just like today and we're talking about abortion. And remember, there are things you can do. First, you got to vote for people that are going to protect the life of the unborn. Second is, how are you spending your time and your money? Are you supporting organizations like March for Life? Volunteer your time, get involved in pregnancy centers in your community, but also encourage your church to have resources for those girls in the church that have an unplanned pregnancy. But the third is to pray. Pray for the life of the unborn. Pray for the mothers right now who face these situations and pray for this nation that we will change the law of the land and to protect the life of the unborn. Once again, thank you for joining me. I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Twitter.